Let's look into the world of books today, and one where the audience can choose the path for the characters to go on, written by my guest Kazim Ali in his book, The Citadel of Whispers. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Talk about this, and um, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a professor, you're a teacher. What made you kind of leave academia or take a detour from academia for, to do this book? Well, I've always loved reading these choose your own adventure books from when I was a kid, when I was, you know, I don't know, even know when the first time I read a choose your own adventure book was probably nine or 10. Um, in fact, the earliest books that I loved reading were precisely these books where you were making these choices about what to do. And I think everyone has had that experience maybe when you're in a, a fantasy story or a science fiction story um, or really a horror story. I mean, how often have you been in a horror movie <laughs> where they're going one way and you're thinking, no, don't go that way, go the other way. <laughs> and that's what choose your own adventure is. It's as you as a reader get to decide, you know? And so uh, I also grew up playing uh, role-playing games. Not sure. Dungeons and Dragons is the most famous one, but of I course. played all of them. I mean, there was there was a spy role-playing game. There was uh, an Old West, <laughs> Wild West. Um, we played all of them, me and my cousins and my uh, friends in school. And so it's kind of like that, you know, um, to take on a character, to make decisions, to, um, you know, to have multiple endings. Uh, the story can turn out any which way. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we've always asked, what if, you know, oh, what if uh, Luke Skywalker did that other thing, you know, or some character that we love made a different kind of choice? How would the story have turned out? And so that's the fun part. I get to, I get to, I'm writing the story, but I'm also, I'm a reader as well of the story as I'm going, creating all the different endings, just determining, you know, what those decision points are. Um, because sometimes it's a small thing, you know, Sometimes it's a major thing, you know, what should I, should I run away right now or should I fight this yeah. enemy? And sometimes it's a small thing, you know, what strat, should I go left or right? And, and even in our lives, our lives are like that too. We don't always know what the big decisions are. So uh, it was really fun to approach a story from that perspective. Yeah. More with Kasim Ali talking about his book, The Citadel of Whispers, in a moment. And actually, what's neat, too, is the main character, Chrissy, the reader can actually choose her sex, her sexual orientation, or his, whatever, whichever way you want to go. So it's, you're not limited to anything. And yeah. I, I, anytime you involve the reader and get, let them use their imagination like that, I think it's a win-win. They can become they, that 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 character is really meant to be whoever the reader is. So Krishi is a gender neutral kind of name. I mean, Krishi is Krishi is a girl's name, but it's also diminutive for Krishna. Krishi, That's right. like a, a nickname for Krishna. So I envisioned any young person really being able to step into the role of the main character and making it making it their own. So that was an exciting thing to do too, but it also forced me to think about, you know, what are the ways that we constrain young people into um, gendered expressions, like the type of clothes they should wear or what their hair should look like, or, and it doesn't always match up. Even in my story, the characters, you know, there's a character named Zara 
And she is the best fighter in the school. So she's sort of all the boys are afraid of her. But the whisperers, the, the kids who are in this order of, of diplomats and spies that I'm writing about, they're supposed to cut their hair to shoulder length. And it's so that they can, they're supposed to be masters of disguises. They're supposed to be able to pass as anybody. So they're not allowed to have really long hair or really short hair. And so Zara is upset because she has really long hair at the beginning of the story. And she's upset about the fact that they're going to, they're making her cut her hair for her initiation, you know? So she wants everything. She wants to punch you out. And she also wants to have just sort of what we think of as girly or something like that. So I really wanted to, I don't know, write characters that were outside of the box and maybe even outside the box for the normal sci-fi or fantasy tropes as well. That sounds awesome. And the cool thing is you can include so many different kinds of people you know, in this uh, and readers and you're not limiting one specific type character. And I think that's a really cool thing uh, and, and spread that blanket of diversity all over the place. And I think that's cool. Well, it's the fans of science fiction who are those kids. They didn't often have that those types of heroes. So, I mean, I think that's why Black Panther was such a huge, you know, important event for so many people because yes. it wasn't just a black hero. There had been black heroes, but it was a black hero in a black centric or Afrocentric context as well. And I think that's the critical difference there. So in my milieu, most of the characters' names are Indian names, mostly, not exclusively. And the architecture, insofar as it's described, is mostly Indian architecture, although not exclusively. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of mix up the fantasy context, too, because the default fantasy context is normally that sort of Tolkien, um, like kind of medieval European base. The baseline is that, you know, when you see a castle or when you think of what a a person is dressed like or what the warriors are like, that is the default. And yet there's so much exciting fantasy from other milieus, you know, traditions, the Chinese tradition, the Indian tradition, of course, the rich tradition of the Arabian Nights. So oh, yeah. I wanted to mix it up. I wanted to kind of shift contexts a little bit. And I, you know, I grew up reading those Indian uh, mythology comic books. They're called mm. Amar Chitra Kata. And they're, you get them in India. I mean, every kid, every Indian kid knows oh, cool. you know, read those about the gods and the heroes and, and all of that. And so that's what I grew up reading too. So I wanted to create characters that kind of could have seemed like they emerged from that context. Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, that's the thing I've always kind of lobbied for is that we need in our mythology, we need more Eastern influences and, and characters and bring them into the mainstream a little more so that it diversifies things. I love Tolkien, but basically it's one type and that's been, you know, kind of what we've had. That's what I had growing up. I didn't have a exposure to what people are getting exposed to now. So well, in a, in a lot of those comment and a lot of those uh, those epic stories, including the next generation iteration from them. So you have Tolkien and Lewis, but then you have a more modern fantasy telling like Terry Brooks, yes, David Eddings, and they 
they all rely on that same kind of trope of the good being the kind of Western yes. and the European and the, the villains. They're always the dark skinned. They're wearing turbans. It's very coded to a certain moment in European history where the Ottoman was the enemy or the Middle Eastern was the enemy. And that's how they're coded. Yeah. That's who the enemies in Tolkien, uh, how they're described. And in C.S. Lewis as well, the, Callum Shan people, or I forget exactly. And that's what David Eddings does as well in terms of how he describes the clothing and the hair and the skin complexions. And Terry Brooks does it too. I'm sure it's all unintentional or maybe it's not unintentional. I, I don't really care to get into that debate, but it wasn't really until even Game of Thrones traffics in it a little bit. They have, you know, not as not as deeply or as profoundly, but the notion of like the turban wearing, sultry, hot climated, you know, villainous people who are slave owners and are barbaric in all these different ways. Everyone's barbaric in Game of Thrones, of course. But yeah. uh, but what I wanted to do with this story was to tr just try to undo that a little bit and have, there's still villainous people in my book. Of course, there are the, the enemies that have to be fought, you know, the characters themselves, their names, their, their, the way they're described physically, the clothing that they wear, it's all drawn from Eastern context. Fantastic. Stay tuned for more of Kazima Lee on Sci-Fi Talk. How do you write something like this, especially when you have things that are pretty much up to the reader to decide. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's exciting there. So there is like this notion of holding the overall plot in your brain, like all of the different things that are happening at the same time. And then based on what the reader might choose, they're encountering different parts of the thread, you know? So there's one part of the story in the very beginning of the story, you can decide whether or not you're going to stay at the Citadel to defend the Citadel because it's so important, or if you're going to go off on a mission out in the countryside. And so if you choose to go off into the countryside later in the story, it is possible that the Citadel has fallen without you there to defend it. You know what I mean? Mm. So there's a consequence from the other branch that plays out in the this this version over here. Now, unlike writing a game where you can actually, you know, code consequences into the later parts of the game, you can't necessarily do that with a narrative book because right. even though it has multiple endings, it's still more or less linear. There are a few places in this book where you can loop back to an earlier decision or into another branch and proceed from there. Um, but in the main, it's still a linear story. It just happens that you are deciding what happens next as you go onward. You know, that as opposed to say a role-playing computer game where you really are able to do a little bit more of a, uh, an open world um, type of concept. So that was a challenge for me. So there is an overall plot. It's just that, so if you read this book, every single path, if you keep going back to the beginning and reading all the paths you skipped, eventually you'll get the whole plot of what's happening, ah. right? But as far as actually the mechanics of doing it, I mean, it, I'm old school in a sense. I know that computer programs exist to write pros, you know, like yes. Klein and oh, other yeah. things. I am not, I'm sorry, my friend, I'm 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some old dogs can learn new tricks and I've learned a few myself, but for this book, I actually had a post piece of poster board and a Sharpie marker and, and post-its. And I was just plotting, I just plotted it out like as a flow chart, you know, how you, well, one might write out a, 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 you know, in hard copy basically. 
So I don't know if, you know, sometime some intrepid 12 year old will at some point teach me how to use one of those programs and maybe the future books in this series, because we are hoping it's going to become a series. Um, maybe I will do them on a computer, but there's something about the analog for me. And it's just, I can keep it in my head better. Um, and that was also really fun because I could keep doing it in my notebook or like cross out sections and start over. It's just easier for me if I can see all of it. My brain is not... I, I don't think if I was doing it on a, a computer program, I don't think I would be as successful as holding all of it in my yeah. head, all the threads. Well, you'll be happy to hear that most television written today essentially has a writer's room with a giant whiteboard and they yeah. plot out each episode that way, which is very old school. Yeah. But it actually <laughs> is very efficient because you can erase a scene if it doesn't work or a plot element and just keep going. And, uh, you know, those rooms have, can be quite contentious at times, but uh, also very creative. So it's still being used. I don't think I would work on a computer as much, I guess, during COVID. I don't know how they did it, but uh, I can only imagine it's a combination of one having the, the board and the others just kind of chiming in. But Yeah, I mean, it's something that's it's done. And sometimes old school is uh, the right way to do things. <laughs> that's how I did it. So you envision this as a series. Uh, do you have ideas for the others? Already? Yeah, I'm planning it. I'm planning it as a trilogy. Oh, nice. Um, well, yeah, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to, you know, that's the plan with Choose Your Own Adventure is to do it as a trilogy. So um, this is the first third of the story. And um, I'm excited for, you know, to see how people <laughs> respond to this one. And it, it's an interactive book. And so with any, with any, um, one of the things I love about science fiction and fantasy as a reader of science fiction and fantasy is that readers and viewers feel really invested in those characters to the extent where there's often these boards where people will argue about why did this person do that? Or what's this story is not, you know, and, uh, or like, for example, with dragon riders of Pern, which is one of my favorites. Oh yeah. With Anne McCaffrey, there was such an active fan community writing fan fiction and creating their own, you know, uh, fan created games and role-playing games based on the world. And Anne McCaffrey, unlike probably any other creator that I can think of, she actually posted on her website, and this is the early days of the internet, um, she posted guidelines for fan fiction. She oh, said, good have at it. I love what you're doing. Here's, got, here's the guidelines. Here's what you cannot do. You know, and she had like eight or 10 rules. She said, do anything you want, except here's here. You know, you can't kill any of my characters in your story. You can't break this. This particular rule in my world cannot be broken. You know what I mean? So I think about the interaction that fans do with the story. I'm super excited to see that. I would love for people to really like embrace these characters to the point where I had a joke. I was joking with we're in a, one, of, uh, one of the marketing calls with the people at Choose Your Own Adventure, amazing people. And I was joking that I wanted the publisher of Choose a woman named Saz, uh, Shannon Gilligan. I said, um, I'll be happy when Shannon cosplays as the Duchess at San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> the Duchess is one of the, one of the adult characters in the oh, book. Cool. <laughs> so I'm really excited about that aspect of fandom. 
Um, and I love to, you know, I have, I, I have notions for what I'm going to do with books two and three, but I'm excited to hear people's responses, which characters they loved, which, which characters that were smaller, that were not in the book as much that they want to see more of, um, which kinds of plot elements really jive for them. Um, I'm just excited to, 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 to hear all of that and, um, and think that it'll, it'll help me shape, you know, what I do as well. So they could actually influence what you're going to be writing. They potentially could. I do have, I have the basic idea for what's going to happen. And I have the basic idea for this, the characters that I'm going to continue using. And some of the minor characters in this book will expand and, and be in, in the new book a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to hear from, from people because even the smallest characters, there's a character named Max who's in one of the storylines of the book. There are multiple big storylines that run throughout the book that you, you, know, you choose from and go, go to path to path to path. And Max is a young nine-year-old boy. He appears in one of those storylines, but he's so close to my heart. I know he's coming back in book two in a much larger role. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. You, you create these characters. And uh, I've heard that sometimes they speak to you a little bit and say, hey, pick me, pick me. Pick me, <laughs> yeah. And it's like uh, you can't ignore it, especially when you create something that's so dynamic and has a, such a, a, a clear voice. It's like, oh, I got to use him. I got to use him again. Well, that happened with the Duchess, who's mm-hmm. the character I mentioned. She's a pirate captain. She's an, uh, she's an older woman. She's in her 60s. All right. Um, she was a she was a noble woman, but she's left that life of comfort behind to sail the high seas. <laughs> I love it. So she's she's my swashbuckler character. You know, she's the kind of the Han Solo character. She breaks all the yeah. rules, and she was meant to be a very supporting character. She was just going to ferry the kids to the mainland. I mean, that was going to be her role, and then she was going to pick them up at the end of the story. You know, reappear. Um, but she was just so fascinating and I loved writing her so much. And every, every, most every main character in the story is, uh, is a young person, the entire, the supporting cat, the adults are all supporting roles. Um, but the Duchess kept, she just kept popping up over and over again. So she's, she's throughout the book at this point. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, that's great. As yeah. we record this, it's actually not out yet, but it will be out October 1st and you get it at the usual places or is there any place in particular? You can get it on the Choose Your Own Adventure website. You can get it on bookshop.org. Um, you can get it on any of the big online retailers. I think Target is carrying it. <laughs> Fantastic. And especially you can get it at your local uh, brick and mortar bookstore. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we love those. Got to keep those going. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with, with COVID, are you going to be doing any kind of appearances or signings? Or I am doing some, I'm doing a bunch of local things in San Diego. I am flying out to Minneapolis for the Twin Cities Book Festival. Fantastic. Um, but but uh, probably uh, it'll be a limited yeah, yeah. Person. Yeah, I hear you. You have to be careful these days. And uh, yeah. we're not out of the woods yet, you know, in so many ways. Well, Kazim Ali, thank you so much for being on the podcast and talking about this book. I rarely get a book like this on my podcast. <laughs> so it's great to uh, to have something that inspires, what's that magic word? Imagination. And, and I like that. I, it's great for especially young minds to use their creativity a little bit and to play in this world. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Don't forget. And the book is, it's the Citadel of Whispers. So definitely check it out. 
And at Sci-Fi Talk Plus, you can listen to this episode commercial-free. And it's speaking of free, it is free for a lifetime. All you have to do is sign up. There's no obligation whatsoever. Click on the link in the show notes to sign up. For Sci-Fi Talk, this is Tony Tolado. Take care.